Well, everybody, thanks for joining us. Um, I just want to let you know what our what we're going to be doing tonight. We're actually going to um, we're going to do communion together. So if you haven't already gotten your communion elements, you'll see that mine is here, some Hawaiian bread. And this is what we would call an adult beverage. So I have that ready for when we do communion. Just so you know, Jesus drank adult beverages, so I feel fine with that. Um, we're going to talk about communion. You know, Bob Holloway gave me the um, suggestion that we should um, share communion with each other. He said that there was actually right now people are running out of communion elements. So many people wanted to do communion that this Easter was especially um, important for people. They're being drawn to the Lord and so they want to do communion. So I, we thought it'd be a really good time for us to do communion as a community because um, communion is important. Communion is a, is a, is a great signpost for us. And I want to talk about that tonight. That's going to be the subject of my message. I want to talk about communion and what that means to us as believers and, and the good news, what this weekend really represents, because Easter is really the pinnacle, the absolute, really most important um, holiday that we celebrate as Christians in the Christian faith is Easter. And what does it really mean? So I want to kind of go through some of that history and some of that, uh, the background of that, if that's okay with you. I just love the history of everything. And I want to talk about the time that we're in. The, the title of my message is called The New Covenant. We're in, we're living in what's called the New Covenant. And that's good news for everybody. Every for every man, woman, and child on this earth, it's good news that we live in the time of the new covenant. You know, um, I don't know about you, but being cooped up in um, you know, the quarantine, the corona quarantine has been you know, a little bit trying. I'm kind of watching a lot of TV. I've watched all of the Tiger King. Not really sure that I can recommend that to anyone, but I will admit I've watched all of the Tiger King. But the other thing that I told my family I wanted to do was I wanted to go back and revisit some of the really um, classic Holy Week kind of movies. And one of them was the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. If you remember the Ten Commandments, Chris and I bought that um, movie and we put it on and kind of forgot that it's actually three hours long. So we watched it, I think, in three settings. But it's got one of my favorite actors in it, Charlton Heston. And who doesn't love Yul Brynner? He's fantastic. I love him as Ramses. And we watched the story of um, Moses as the deliverer, bringing people out of the land of Egypt and going into the wilderness and getting the Ten Commandments. And it was such a cool reminder and such a cool, cool prompt for what we're going to be sharing Tonight, I thought that was really sweet of the Lord that I got to see all that kind of stuff come back up in my head again. And I just, I love the pomp and the, the um, Cecil B. DeMille, how he loves just doing everything on a grand, expansive scale. That's my favorite thing. One of the next movies we're going to watch is Ben-Hur, because that's my next favorite movie is Ben-Hur. And that's Charlton Heston again, and I love him. So um, just in a few minutes, we're going to take communion. Take some time if you need to get your communion elements together. We'll be here. I just want to talk to you about what communion is. Communion is actually a sign and a symbol to the Christians and the Christian faith. You know, all through the Old Testament, um, God wanted people to remember what he had done in their lives. So every time something significant happened, he'd say, now stop build an altar so that when you look at this altar, you can remember what I did for you. One example is um, when the Israelites went into the promised land, 
they paused for a moment, they gathered up a bunch of rocks and they built an altar. So every time in the future they would pass by this altar or their kids would pass by this altar, they could look back and say, that's when the Lord delivered us out of the wilderness into our promised land. And actually communion is that same kind of signpost, that same kind of remembrance um, practice for people of faith, for, for Christians. We remember what Jesus did on the cross. We remember the new covenant when we celebrate communion. And that's, that's, I think that's just such a cool thing. You know, in order for us to understand the communion, we have to really understand what covenant is. And covenant is in biblical times, covenant is almost like a legal document. It defines people's relationships with each other, especially like nations. And, um, uh, you know, like if, uh, like if I went to buy a, let's say I went to buy a field from my neighbor and I was going to give my neighbor 30 shekels for this field. And, and I was going to get this field in 30 days. We might write up what's called a covenant. It would be a legal draft between each other. Also covenant cannot, besides being legal, it can also be a relational thing that people have between each other, um, how you relate to one another. In biblical covenant, there's two different kinds of covenant. One is called the um, obligatory contract or covenant. And that is a covenant between two equal entities. That, ex that example of me buying a field from my neighbor, that would be that an example of people that are equal. Another example in modern day times would be marriage. To, marriage is two equal people coming together, making a commitment. Um, um, it's actually a legal binding document. That's why you guys, the definition of marriage is so important because it's actually legal. A lot of you know, I do mediation. I'm always explaining to people that marriage and divorce have legal implications because God takes commitment seriously. He takes legal contracts seriously. He's the one that instituted covenant. He's the one that instituted this kind of binding um, relationship. So he takes that stuff seriously. It's important that we take it seriously. The other kind of example of biblical covenant was one of um, suzerain. Suzerain is um, the party that has the most authority, who has who is the higher party. And then vassal is the one who is unequal. So it's an unequal relationship. There's a higher party, a party that has more power and a lower party. That's called suzerain vassal. I love that suzerain word. That's so cool. And, and that is when you see um, countries that have relationships with each other. Sometimes one country will um, conquer another country and they'll begin to have some kind of relationship through like a treaty or an agreement. An example in modern day times would be um, when Germany uh, was fighting against all the allies and the allies finally conquered Germany. Well, they came in and they imposed um, consequences on Germany. In fact, they, they imposed um, sanctions. Germany had to repay all these, this money for manufacturing and out of World War II came a, a um, governmental thing called NATO. NATO was birthed out of the whole World War II thing. And that's an example of a relationship or a covenant that comes out of the suzerain vassal kind of relationship where one party imposes consequences or obligations or whatever on the other 
party, whether this party is willing or not. Sometimes this party is willing, but it's an unequal relationship. And those are the two types of covenants that we see in the Old Testament. And um, I just want to go through, if you don't mind, because I love this kind of stuff, all just a few of the different kinds of covenants we see that are highlighted by God in the Old Testament. And it's important to study co the covenant, you guys, because we see God building from covenant to covenant to covenant to the new covenant. It actually all weaves in together. And so it's really fun to look at what, um, what kind of covenants there were in the Old Testament. The other thing that I want to um, talk to you about is that covenant, there's, here's some aspects of a covenant relationship. Not all covenants have this aspect, but they'll have one or two of them. And, and you'll see this even, and I'll explain it down the road, like in marriage or, or other things, but the, it's a type of agreement. It originated in the ancient Near East. That's where Israel was located. It's between two or more parties or groups, like, like a country, two countries. It's where two people commit and they bind themselves or, or parties bind themselves to each other. It involves a promise or an oath. A lot of times these promises or, oath, or oaths were made to the gods. Like I promise by such and such God that I'm gonna do this. I promise by the Lord most high that I'm gonna do this. It usually has a physical sign or symbol. Sometimes that is an animal sacrifice or it's a blood sacrifice. Sometimes it's just a sign. Like a, like a wedding covenant, our sign and symbol is a ring. We give rings to each other as a sign and a symbol of our covenant to each other. It involves a witness or witnesses. Even today, when you get married, you have to have a witness. Isn't that interesting? It's usually sealed, meaning it's written down somewhere. There's a document. There's a record of it. It's been sealed up. It involves blessings and curses. Now, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, and it usually involves some kind of ceremony. It's not, um, it's not just willy-nilly. It is something that people witness. It's, um, it's a ceremony that people can look back on. It's something that you remember. Remember those altar stones. It's something that you look at and you remember. And those are some of the different aspects of what's involved with biblical covenant. So there's three different kinds of biblical covenants. There's a general one, unconditional, and conditional. So an example of a, um, a general covenant would be the one where God makes a covenant with Noah and actually the earth. You remember when um, there's a big flood, Noah takes two of every animal, he goes into the ark, he floats around for 40 days and 40 nights. Finally, after a time period, he finds dry land, he makes an altar and he sacrifices to the Lord. And this is where God says, I will make a covenant between you and earth, actually, not just him, but earth, that I'll never again destroy the earth with a flood. And the sign, remember sign, will be the rainbow in the sky. That's the sign of the covenant. That's a general covenant. That was a covenant not made to a particular people group um, or people, a faith group that was made to all of creation. That's an example of a general covenant. An unconditional covenant is one that has nothing to do with the person who is a, the lower party to the covenant. An example of that would be Abraham. You know, Abraham was involved in what we call that um, unequal kind of covenant. You've got God, he's the powerful party. And then you have Abraham, Abraham, who's the less powerful party. And God 
imposes a, a covenant on Abraham and he makes promises and it has nothing to do with Abraham. It's simply that God said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to call you out of your people. You're going to be the father of many nations because of you. The nations are going to be blessed. Your people, we like the sands of the seas. And it had nothing to do with Abraham. There was nothing he could do. In fact, if you remember, Abraham tried to get involved in that little promise that God had said and kind of messed things up with Ishmael and with Hagar and all of that. And God was like, you know what? I've made a promise by myself. It's unconditional, has nothing to do with you. I've chosen you to be the father of a people group that I'm going to choose for myself. And I'm going to show myself to the rest of the world through this people group. So you just stand there and you let me do my thing and I will make it happen. There's nothing you need to do. And that's an example of what we would call an unconditional covenant. A conditional covenant would be the one like what I was telling you about with Moses. You remember that um, Moses brought the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea over into the wilderness and he went up onto the mountain and he met God and God gave him 10 commandments, right? We were watching those um, on that movie and we could see the hand of God and the fire come down and make all the little... Um, words on the tablets. It was so cool how Moses, Moses brought them down and everything. But here's the thing about that, you guys, that's a conditional covenant. God said, here's my laws. And if you keep my laws, you are going to be blessed. This is conditional. His blessing had to do with how well the people kept the laws. They had a choice. You can keep the laws and I'm going to bless you, or you cannot keep the laws and you're going to get cursings. So you make a decision what are you going to do? That's called a conditional covenant. The Lord has said, I'm willing to do all this stuff for you, but you've got something on your side that you need to do. That's conditional. And that's an example by the Mosaic covenant. Another unconditional covenant is that what we call the Davidic covenant. And that's where God said, I'm going to pick David. David is going, David is a man after my own heart. I love him and him and his offspring are going to be on the throne of Israel forever. In fact, the man, the person who delivers my people to me are going to be from his line. And that's an unconditional promise that God makes to David in the Old Testament. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem with all of this is God made covenant. And that's just, that's those are some examples of just a couple different covenants. There's more that we could go into, but those are just some good examples of the different kinds of covenants. The problem is you guys, that God made promise after promise after promise to this people called Israel. He called them a stiff necked people, but he said, I'm their bridegroom. I'm their husband. I'm going to take care of them. They're going to be my people. But the reality is his people over and over and over turned their backs on him. They committed, they, they followed other gods. They did despicable um, practices that the other people, they, they, they practiced child sacrifice. They had horrible um, um, interest rates. They, they sold their neighbors and their kids into slavery. That all kinds of things that were considered um, terrible to the Lord and the Lord continually told him over and over, I need you to stop doing this. This is wrong. This is going against the law that I revealed to you 
stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this. And over and over the people would, they'd sin against the Lord. Then they'd come back to him. Then they'd sin against the Lord. Then they'd come back. It was just, it was an ongoing repetition. And here's the thing, you guys, an external rule, an external law doesn't work. It doesn't work. And, and God said in Jeremiah, he said in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, it's going to go up on the screen here in just a few minutes. He said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So here's the thing, you guys. God was like, you know what? I've got to do something more. The old, old covenant isn't good enough. I've got more that I want my, I've got blessings that I want my people to walk in, but they cannot hold the blessings because they cannot follow me with their whole heart. Their heart is like a stone and I need to put a, a heart of flesh inside of them. One that knows me intimately, not externally, but internally. And so that's when God said, I am going to do a new covenant. I'm going to new, do a new covenant. And that's what we're celebrating tonight, you guys. The Last Supper, which is the night that Jesus was betrayed. It's actually, if you um, know any of the Bible story, when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the donkey and, and they hailed him and he went and he, he um, enjoyed the Last Supper. It's actually a Passover meal. He's actually having a Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. He was celebrating Passover. And Passover in the Jewish tradition, that's a remembrance feast of how Moses brought, or God through Moses, brought the people out of Egypt. Egypt represents bondage, it represents slavery, and it represents oppression. And when the people came out of Egypt. They had to come out so fast. They couldn't even let their bread rise. You know, my daughter, Emma, was making um, bread because I wanted some, I didn't want to have, you know, my Hawaiian king, my these. I wanted real bread and she was going to make it for me. She went all over town looking for flour and for yeast. And it was out everywhere. There was no yeast anywhere. I guess everyone's baking. I don't know. So she went on Facebook and somebody offered her yeast and she went and picked it up. And then she found flour in this like little gourmet shop downtown called Farm Girl Grocery or something like that. And she found some flour. And anyway, she's making bread in the kitchen. And she, um, she showed it to me a little while ago. She goes, mom, because really who makes bread? I don't make bread. I haven't made it in a long time. Maybe you guys make bread. More power to you. I don't do a lot of baking, not with yeast. And so she made this and she showed it to me. She goes, Is, has this risen? Is this risen enough. And I said, well, how long has it been in the bowl? She goes, it's been in there about an hour. I said, it's probably right. I mean, it's probably doubled in size. It's good. But here's the thing. That's one hour. It took one hour for that bread to rise. The Egypt, the Israelites had to leave Egypt so fast. They couldn't even let their bread rise. So they brought what's called unleavened bread out of 
Egypt. And that's what you eat when you have a Passover meal. It's called a cedar meal, a Seder meal. And you have different elements and one of them is the unleavened bread. And that's the bread that Jesus broke when he said, this is my body broken for me. He was celebrating Passover. This was a Passover meal that he was celebrating. And it's especially um, significant because he is the Passover lamb. He represents the Passover lamb. In Egypt, in order for the, um, the Israelites to be spared from the last and final curse, plague, which was death. That was the 10th plague was death. They had to slaughter a lamb and put the blood over their door and on their, their side posts so that when the angel of death came through town, it would recognize that blood and keep on going, right? The only thing the Israelites had to do was say, I heard you, Lord, I'm going to put blood over my mantle posts and I'm going to escape death. Death's going to pass me by. That is a foreshadowing of Jesus. That's a foreshadowing of this last supper. So when God looked at his people and he saw they kept on sinning, he said, I'm going to do something that is going to once and for all fix the situation. I'll come down as a man myself and I'll pay the final price. And God came down as Jesus and Jesus was the Passover lamb. And this is the good news of Easter. Jesus was the once and for all Passover lamb for every person that believes. And you guys, this is one of those unconditional kinds of covenants. The only thing that is required to participate in the new covenant is that you believe that Jesus did it. Just like um, the Israelites had to put the blood on the, on the post so that the angel of death would pass them by. Guess what? That's all we have to do. If we want to participate in the new covenant, all we have to do is say, yep, Jesus, I believe. You paid the final price for me and I don't have to pay anymore. So God came and he paid the final price in Jesus and he instituted what's called the new covenant. Jesus even says in the, in the supper, he says, this is the new covenant poured out for you. My blood is the new covenant. So here's the cool thing, you guys. Here's the blessings of the new covenant. You know, the old covenant, we got the mosaic law. We got to kind of keep it's conditional. We can't do it. It's external. The new covenant, once we appropriate the blood of Jesus, it becomes internal. Now we have an internal knowledge of Jesus. It's not external. It's internal. And now we get to have a relationship with God that is personal. He calls us in the New Testament, he calls us his father. He says, I've adopted you. You know, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, to be adopted was actually better than if you were a natural born son. <laughs> because in the New Testament, when you chose someone to be your son, when you adopted them on purpose, you actually gave them a special place in your family. And so we are called the adopted children. God has adopted us into his family. So our relationship now becomes one of father father also the new testament says and this is kind of hard for some people we're the bride he's the bridegroom we're the bride we're cherished we're pursued we're loved the way that a bridegroom loves a bride that's who we are to god we are his bride pure the other thing is we're his heir we're actually 
heir, co-heirs with Christ. Everything that has been given to Jesus, we get to be co-heirs of. The thing that I love the most about um, living in the new covenant in the new Testament reality is when I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, when my heart has been made alive to the Lord and I have been changed on the inside, I get to be a co-creator a co-redeemer. I get to dream and do all kinds of things that God is doing because now I'm in sync with the Lord. My heart is in sync with the Lord and he invites me into a relationship where I'm an heir in his kingdom. I get to be part of what he's orchestrating. He's building and he's doing things. And he's, he's inviting me into that exciting adventure. I get to be an integral part of what he's doing on earth when I'm part of the new covenant. And that is super exciting to me. You know, the other thing, and this is, I think, one that I really want to communicate to people, especially somebody that may not know the Lord. I don't know if there's people out there that don't know the Lord. And there's a lot of Christians that have really forgotten this part of the new covenant. They've forgotten what the new covenant really is and why we why we celebrate the new covenant. We celebrate that Jesus died for our sins once and for all. He paid the price. He's the Passover lamb. He paid the price. He rose Easter to conquer death. We no longer taste death. We may taste physical death, but we do not taste eternal death. We reign and rule forever with Jesus. That's good news, you guys. That's really good news. But the other thing that I think we kind of forget is that God said part of the new covenant promise, and I've promised this by myself. Now remember, in, the, in a covenant, you've got two people. You've got God and humanity. It's an unequal relationship. And God has said in the new covenant, here's the things I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna forgive you. I'm gonna give you abundant life. Got nothing to do with you. You don't have to earn it. It's what I'm gonna do. And that to me is the most exciting thing, I think. In, about being living in the new covenant reality. Um, it's abundant life. We get to live an abundant life. I don't know about you, but sometimes um, I can get a little bit down on myself and I can, um, my eyes get distracted by what's going on around me, especially today. I mean, especially in this day and age in the quarantine with coronavirus and the news coming at me, we can really get distracted by what we see in the natural. And we forget about what we've been promised in the supernatural. And one of the promises of God is abundant life. I've come to give you life and life abundant. Um, <laughs> I want to tell a story. I've told this a lot. You guys have probably heard this a lot and I'm real sorry, but it's, it bears repeating because here's the thing, you guys, we forget, we forget what our portion is. We forget, we forget who we belong to. We forget the kingdom that we live in. We forget who our family is and we forget who our dad is. And so I want to remind you of what our destiny is in God. And it's this little story about baseball. A lot of you have seen that movie called um, It's a Sandlot, you know, where the kids are playing in the back sandlot and they um, hit a ball over into the um, neighbors and there's this giant dog over there and they're super afraid to go over and get their ball. And so they go and get um, their dad's really special autographed baseball. Well, it's kind of a story like that. That's just imagine that in your mind. Imagine you're playing baseball with your friends and um, you're having a great time. And accidentally, accidentally, this ball gets um, hit into the neighbor's yard 
and it goes to their big window, picture window, and it breaks their picture window. And you know that the right thing to do is for you to go over and you have to knock on the door and you have to say to the neighbor, you say, hey, um, I broke your window and um, I know I need to pay for it. How much do I owe you? And the, the neighbor says, you owe me 50 bucks. It's going to cost 50 bucks to fix this window. Give it to me. And you have got to give it to me right now. Like you did wrong and you need to fix it. That's an example of justice. You did something wrong. You have to make reparation. That's an example of justice. Okay, next scenario, you're playing that game, you hit that same baseball over into your neighbor's yard, night again, you break their picture window. But this time, the um, neighbor comes out and you say, hey, you know, I broke your window, I know that I need to repay that because it's my fault, blah, blah. And the, um, the neighbor says, you know what, I'm in a really good mood, don't worry about it, I just had some stocks that did really well, I can handle it, don't worry. So you go on your merry way and you're like, phew, I'm so glad. That's an example of mercy because you didn't get what you deserve. You deserve the right thing would be for you to pay for that window, but you don't have to. So example number three, you're playing the baseball game. You hit the um, ball. It goes over to your neighbor's yard. It breaks a big picture window. You walk over there. You're like, hey, knock, knock, knock. I broke your picture window. I know I have to pay for it. What do I owe you? So now this is a picture of God. God opens the door. He says, hey, how's it going? I've been watching you from outside and you look like you're really having a great time. I think I want to get to know you better. And you say, to, you say well, um, I, I owe you $50 for breaking your window. He goes, what? No, I'll take care of that myself. And oh, by the way, let's you and me go out and get some ice cream. Now that, my friends, is a picture of favor. And this is what we forget as Christians, that God has mercy and favor through what Jesus did on the cross. And he is waiting to pour it out on us. No longer does he remember our sins. In fact, in fact, the Bible says that I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. In Micah, it says he throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You know, my question to you, maybe a person of faith, is are you condemning yourself today? Are you walking in condemnation? Are you remembering the past? Do you feel shame? Do you feel guilt? That is not your portion. Jesus dealt with that on the cross. And that is gone and it's gone forever. Jesus said, I have not come to condemn the world, but to save it. So if Jesus doesn't remember your sins, doesn't condemn you, you need to stop doing it too. Because what God wants to do is say, let's go get some ice cream. I've seen you from afar. You look super fun to me. In fact, you're one of my favorites. I want to get to know you better. Let's go get some ice cream. I got plans for you. That's what God is saying over you, my friend. God is saying, I've got some really fun plans. You know that dream you've had in your heart for your whole life, for that business, for um, having a family, for doing whatever? I put that dream in your heart. That was me. I put that dream in your heart because I saw something in you that the world needed, I wanna work with you on that. I wanna make that come to fruition. I got plans for you, my friend. I got good plans for you. And that is the good news of Easter. 
you guys, is that we get to participate in the new covenant. We are not stuck in the old covenant. We don't have laws that are external that we don't understand and can't do. We have a God who lives inside of us. We have a relationship with the living God who's got plans and purposes, good plans. Did you know that our God's in a good mood and he's in a good mood all the time? He's waiting to talk to you about your dreams, your aspirations, what you want to do. He's got treasures waiting to be poured out on you. If you would turn your eyes to him and listen to what he's got. And remember, he's not thinking about what you did wrong. He's not thinking about your sins or how you failed. He doesn't remember them. He doesn't remember. He doesn't hold them against you. They've been covered by what Jesus did on the cross. He doesn't remember what you did wrong. Why would you? He's desperately in love with you and wants to know you deeper and more intimately all the time. The thing that I think is really cool about that, and you know, in terms of, um, in terms of covenant, you know, we learned that a covenant is a legal document, is a, is a legal instrument. This idea of favor and grace, it's actually a legal commitment that God has made. It's not something he's done out of his emotions. Oh, I feel good about her today. Oh, I don't feel good about her. He has promised that by himself. You see, Jesus was the shed blood. He was the sign of the covenant. He said, this is my blood poured out you as a sign of the new covenant. Jesus is the sign and the seal and the promise of the new covenant. And now here's what's so cool. God is legally obligated to fulfill what he promised to you and me. He, he cannot change his mind. He's not a man that he should change his mind. He cannot change his mind. He's legally obligated to shower us with grace, to shower us with favor. We just got to decide if we want to participate. We've got to decide if we want to believe. It's for anyone who would believe. We get to participate in grace and in favor. It's for anyone. So I encourage you today, dear friend, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, now's the time. Now's the time for you to say yes to the Lord. Say, Lord, I want what you have for me. I don't want to remember my sins. I want to walk in grace and favor. I want to dream big with you. I'm going to be a co-creator and a co-redeemer. That's what God has got for you. For every single person on this earth, he has a plan and he has a purpose and he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to participate in it. So I'd like to do communion with you tonight, if that's okay. If you want to go ahead and get your elements out, you can. Like I said, I'm going to be eating my... Hawaiian bread, which is kind of a little dried out right now, and having my adult beverage. You're free to go get yours. I am going to um, just read the scripture for us. So you can go ahead and take your, take your um, bread. I will do it after I read and drink your wine, and I'll close us out with a prayer, if that's okay with you. And then we're going to come back and do one more song. So this is from Matthew. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him is going to betray me is with mine on the table. So Lord, I just thank you so much. I thank you, Lord, that we live in a new covenant reality. We get to um, partner with you. We get to have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We get to walk in signs and wonders and power. We get to have the favor of God mark our lives. We get to see people come into the kingdom, God. I thank you, Lord, that we live on this side of the new covenant, that you have given your son for us. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, for his death on the cross, the resurrection from the grave. We love you, Lord. We say yes and amen. Yes and amen, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you. And we're just, go ahead and take your elements, and Brian's going to lead us in a follow-up song.
Brian. Thank you, Lord, for being our living hope. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. If you have any prayer requests, you can put that in the Facebook um, comments or on our Supper Club page on Facebook. We're just so glad to be with you. Happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter. And we'll see you next week.